0: Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. So we promised we would bring Seth Schachtner back, and we did, and he talked about not just a little bit about the past again, but a lot about current technologies, future technologies, and how artists and their managers can work with them gave a fair amount of intriguing examples, including examples of things that aren't necessarily working all that well, took a look a bit at what was happening in Latin America and the different markets and opportunities in Latin America and the challenges therein, and a little bit about future technologies coming up the pike. So enjoy this conversation. You joined us already once, and we had a wonderful conversation about your interesting pathway in the past. And interestingly, at Digital Entertainment World, several people walked up to me and said that they really loved that podcast, oh. that it reminded them of their own careers. These were other people who are possibly of a similar vintage. Yeah. They appreciated how it kind of framed innovation of the past to exploring innovation now. And I know when we got to the end of that, you'd wanted to kind of continue the conversation in some ways where we hadn't gotten to some of the current innovation stuff that we spent probably a mere five minutes on. So that was kind of my target for today. Great. Um, and, and cause you're, you're tinkering with all sorts of edges for lack of a better term of places where things are overlapping in an interesting way. Or is that a, a good way to frame what you're doing or what would be a better way to frame?
1: Yeah, no, that, that's a a great way to look at it, you know, and, and, you know, it was, it was interesting when we, uh, and firstly, it's great to hear that, um, you know, that, that folks see some, you know, have some familiarity with what my experience has been. It's, you know, that, that's, that's really nice to hear that. Um, But yeah, I think that that's a good way to look at it. You know, what, what I've tried to do as a consultant, you know, Maybe it is in part being of a certain vintage, but it's also just being aspirational and being being a biz dev person, and you know wanting to be near pockets of innovation in digital music and digital entertainment. Is I, I've tried to look where where there may be underexploited or underappreciated areas that maybe for whatever reason large resources, large staffs, large amounts of people are not necessarily clustering around but which need the, the support of a strategist, a person who wants to help drive business, content, technology alliances. And and so for me in music, um, yeah, I mean, I've certainly looked at some of these edgy platforms that are out there that all, for the most part, have some tangential peripheral relationship back to music in some way, but, but that are, um, you know, hopefully emerging areas that are going to help build business economies of the future whether in digital music or video entertainment actually so it's 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 fair to look at that i think because of the network and the the 20 years in the u.s and latin america doing this stuff i tend to get a nice flow of things that i see and and we try and look at things that are that are edgy and filter out um the ones we think are the ones where we can really help and can move things forward and you know in in a broad base that's kind of how it's working for me so Edgy, but potentially profitable. Yeah, yeah. Or, or potentially things that can somehow fit into the digital content ecosystem, you know, whether with it might be rights licensed in, it might be, you know, uh, technologies or services licensed to distribution or audience partners. Um, interesting for me, because um, this isn't, was never my bread and butter, although I've always sat near it, I tend to do a lot of work relating to artists now, bringing artists into things, um, and that can involve lots of different, you know, parties. But so from uh,
0: the from the technology side, you know, the deal depends on where you're sa- standing, right? So that you're approaching artists and convincing them and negotiating with them to be part of a new tech, or working with artists to find the right tech that works with their community and strategic direction.
1: Well, it's a great question. It's mostly been the former, although I've had, I've worked with some artists. I've worked with, you know, Residente, uh, formerly known as Calle Trece, um, as, as a client actually, um, you know, in that area and a few other artists as well. But it's it's mostly been the former. So I'll give you an example. I work for a big social music community. We talked about it last time called Smule, mm-hmm. which is. I mean we think it's it's the best of its kind. I mean I guess there's others out there. TikTok is one, uh musically StarMaker. but but you know this is a looks like it's live singing along or live karaoke. We don't use that word but 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 I bring artists into that app for you know for Smule. M- mostly artists from the Americas but I do some general market artists as well. Um and and I wouldn't say it's so much as negotiating a deal as it is bringing something to artists, to artist managers, to labels, also to people like publicists and marketers, and showing them that you know there's an app, there's a, a music community that wants to connect with an artist in kind of a collaborative way or a way that looks kind of organic and collaborative, and it's mostly about in that case a connection, you know, between a fan and an artist. And if you see some of these things the way they really work, that's the essence of it. It's marketing, it's promotion. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's it, there is of course a, a content deal per se, but um it's mostly about that kind of connection.
0: So maybe not with that example. For a deal that you look at, I mean I'm used to thinking I'm I'm long time banker slash deal junkie. Um and, and oftentimes, when you're looking at a new technology, you start out with a licensing deal so that the artist is not necessarily taking the risk of the platform, but is getting paid cash up front to participate, all the way through some kind of an equity deal or some kind of revenue share. How do you take a look at the economics with artists when you're bringing a new technology to them to say, hey, we'd like you to work with this and, and bring this to your community and connect your community? How do you take a look at the type of deal? that an artist then looks at and their management team looks at?
1: Well, so, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't address kind of the the small thing in this context. I, mm-hmm. I've actually done quite a bit of work on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it usually, you know, it, I think a lot of times it depends on what's in front of you, how mature it is, how big of a vehicle or a channel it is, um, or a platform it is, whether it's for an artist or certainly even a brand, um, to bring it out to audiences. If it's, and I'm speaking really top level here, but, and I'll give you, I'll give you some concrete examples of what I'm talking about from the past, but that I think are really good examples. But if it's something that's really new, you know, a certain type of VR headset or, you know, uh, you know, an an artist might look at it and say, Hey, this is so new. People don't know how to use it. People don't know what it is you know, I and my own personal brand, am going to be, you know, a big factor in bringing this thing out to the market. So therefore, I need some form of, of compensation, of consideration, mm-hmm. a, a fee, if you will, for the use of my name and likeness, something else so that I might appear to support this. I'll do a meet and greet at a concert or I'll do a television or radio advertisement and I'll give you the rights to a big marketing campaign around it. And I think think that's something if you're looking at a big brand or a big device that's brand new, that's quite a relevant thing to think about. Um, If it's something that is like a store or a big vehicle, and and we mentioned one that I think is uh, 45 some odd million members are using it, um, you know, that's not something that's new, right? right. And yep. so I, I, think, I think, you know, and I'm not going to address the specifics of the content oh, licensing terms, that, but yep. I will just say that's not something where a name and likeness fee. Now, I'll give you an example if I can zip back. This is actually a decade ago and <laughs> nine years ago. And I know we <laughs> talked about AOL before. We're not going to go too deep on this, but instead of going back 20 years, go back 10 years when I was at running Sony Music's Latin American business there were these new types of Sony handsets, mobile handsets coming into the market. Sony had a great mobile or a good mobile business at the time. It was actually a venture with uh, Ericsson. It's called Sony Ericsson. And um, boy, they made the coolest handsets.
0: They did. I love the Sony Ericsson handsets. I had one for a while and I couldn't figure out other than I, I did a lot of mobile deals back in those days and actually funded a bunch of mobile companies. So I was, Overly aware of the economics of the handset business, but separate than that, no, love that handset.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a, a shoebox. I'm sure friends of mine have double shoeboxes. I've seen in the LA music community, but I've got a shoebox full of these, you know, like pocket pass, cards, pass tools, yeah. yeah, some of the really coolest, things, James Bond style stuff. But anyway, um, at the time, this is you know around the time of iPhone, a little bit, you know, the first gen of the iPhone coming out, Sony was trying to incentivize carriers and users to use these cool handsets. And so there was a phone they did with a British music company called EMI with one of their marquee artists called Robbie, uh, Robbie Williams um, that was released globally. And I saw it hitting the Latin markets, which I was running for Sony's running their digital teams. And I still remember going into Sony Ericsson's offices in Miami and seeing this thing. It looked like a combination of a mobile phone deal and a, a wedding, a big giant wedding party with all sorts of advertisements. And it was, it was a preloaded phone. Um, and so a couple of my, I wanted to do that. This is great. Where do I sign on Mm -hmm. and, um, make it a long story short, but I did a phone with one of our biggest artists that we created content for with him, with Ricky Martin and, um, a regional partnership with Sony mobile that, that, frankly, I negotiated with just a couple other people, over, over Christmas break, believe it was 2007-2008, for a regional campaign that was synced up with Ricky's tour at the time, uh, a record called Black and White or Blanco y Negro in Spanish. And we we, we had a record we had released seven months earlier with MTV that um, we needed to get MTV's rights on and MTV Unplugged with Ricky. Uh, we needed to get their approval on, and, and we did for... Um, probably one of the more hilarious trade-offs I've ever done in my career. I think I gave them the rights to sell uh, ringtones in Central America or something, something along those lines, Ricky's ringtones, in exchange for the right to put this on a handset. And we preloaded handsets with this album, and a guy on my team who was supposed to be a financial analyst went into the studio with me and Ricky and a product manager, and we get all sorts of interviews with Ricky in English and Spanish. And I created a pricing model per handset with Sony. I think we got five dollars a phone for the full album, and two dollars a phone for half the album, something like that. And we released this preloaded phone with Ricky's album cover on it during a tour. You know, not not exactly marketing Nobel Prize, but marketing one hundred and one. Um, and sold a million and a half phones in three months. You know, mostly in Mexico because the carrier there, Telcel, loved it, and kids wanted to buy it. I guess, and. um, you know, we, I did the same thing about a year later with, um, with the artist Shakira, uh, who had also released a record at the time, and that was a similar sort of process with different pricing terms and uh, about half the volume, maybe a little more than half the volume. But both of those things were things where the artist said, what the heck is this idea of a mobile phone being preloaded with music? You're plastering my name and likeness all over it. I'm going to do a tour or you know, I want to do meet and greets. And in Ricky's case, I got him an endorsement that, that kind of collided with his existing tour endorsements. And in, in both those cases, we had to negotiate kind of whopping name and likeness fees for both artists, actually, mm-hmm. which which I did with my team, and which was wonderful for, for Sony at the time because the labels were trying to prove that they too could be in the realm of artist managers or talent managers or agents or act as 360, you know, type, uh, type rights enterprises. So th- those cases, absolutely. Cause these phones were new. The artists were kind of helping introduce them and in Ricky's case, they were actually giving some instruction on how to use the, you know, the actual functionality of the phone.
0: Oh, uh, actually, I would love to see that.
1: I, I can send you the, I actually still have decks. I mean, you're going to laugh because it's, you know, 10 or 11 years old. Oh, uh, uh, how fun. But it, they were really, and it was found revenue and hugely profitable because we had made the album. If you looked at a business plan of whatever, 2009, 2000, it was this big giant blue variance on, on the graph, you know, who did that deal, whatever. Um, so <laughs> it was a lot of
0: fun. So what is the equivalent now? Right. So, you've got artists. We have all sorts of new technologies. You've been working on some specific ones, but what what's the type of deals that are showing up to artists and what are the type of opportunities with some of the new technologies coming out that, let's say, managers who are listening to this could be thinking about for their artists? or technologies could be thinking about in terms of what they could offer to an artist and their team on finding that that edge, that hybrid in the middle of what could be a, a tech artist win-win deal?
1: Oh, it's a, it's a great question. So, I, I don't think there, you know, like I think, I don't know if there's an exact equivalent anymore now. I think, I mean, I know that when app stores came about, I think, um, you know, while they were great, they also killed off things like what I just described because you didn't really need to do it anymore, and and they ringtones went away too. So I think I think I think there are probably you know device partnerships that are out there. I want to say Jay Z did something a few you know a few years back, and uh, you know I certainly see stuff with um, you know with brands that are out there. I mean, I, just from the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago, there was something super cool that. The artist Two Chains did, I think, that integrated, you know, him in really in a great way in a video with with something really, quite frankly, boring and expensive software, basically in a hilarious way. Oh, I remember
0: that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I just I, saw an ad push to my phone on that today.
1: I mean, I thought that was, frankly, for me, the best of all the music advertising on the Super Bowl. You know, it really res—it was hilarious. It's got Adam uh, Scott, it basically and playing like a record label finance guy, and it's very much integrated the video is a, is the brand is integrated into the video. And there's also a 32nd, you know, TV spot that they no doubt spent millions on for the actual broadcast that this is integrated into as well. So, I mean, that's classic. I think there are probably ways to go about, you know, partnering up with a Samsung or perhaps even an Apple or or new device groups. I don't know if it's going to be on the same basis as I described, um, but that that I think one should be aware of. I, I think about this often when I look at, um, all of these new devices that are out there in kind of the 3D ecosystem, you know, whether they're, they're headsets or some of these new A- 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 AR or AI type devices, I don't know if they're going to be the exact matches though, to be, to be really honest with you. So I don't know if they exist in exactly the same way, Gigi. but um, yeah. I think that the other thing that I would mention or think about, you know, I think there, you know, over the last three to five years, there's been all these different platforms that have come out into the market for mm-hmm. for artists um, You know, and, uh, backstage, follow, Escape X, uh, Whale Rock. You know, some of these things are not just for musicians and music-oriented artists, but celebrities. And um, though I hate to make broad-based statements, I, I don't know if there's a huge amount of differentiation in in any of them. But I think there is something there in terms of aggregating some of the artists, you know, audience and presence. Um, I like the idea a lot of fan clubs that Mm -hmm. there are probably super fans out there that can somehow be converted, you know, into paying fans. If you have uh, solid benefits to give them, you know, that could be concert tickets or first look or access or exclusive content and music. Um, and brands could certainly be a part of that. Um, so I, 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 kind of look at that maybe as, as things that are closer to, um, you know, to sort of predecessors to some of this, the stuff that I described from 10 years ago, basically.
0: Is there anything that is specific opportunities that you are seeing working in VR and AR? I mean, we're coming off of a, you know, some would go back to a Gartner hype cycle commentary that VR was the next big coming thing. And, you know, once the VR companies kind of took the promo uh, foot off the pedal that we then started having... um, uh, Despite bringing all the prices down, some of the prices down, um, having you know kind of an air of disappointment about all the promise of VR. And now yeah. there's a lot of promise on the AR side. So for those who aren't com- comfortable with the delineation, because um, there's mixed reality and all sorts of stuff... I almost said something other than stuff, um, but AR is really then kind of overlay Pokemon Go ish or l- layer earlier companies like that, um, and then VR being an immersed no visuals to the outside world environment. And yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sitting in my home office, which has a really nice VR rig all set up room based thing. Um, but those didn't end up becoming ubiquitous. What are you seeing working?
1: Well, so. It's, I guess it's, I don't want to be too whatever didactic, whatever the word is. I mean, I guess it's sort of how you define the word working. So I I would say that there are very interesting things I'm seeing that are B2B that aren't necessarily touching consumers, you know, where there's a huge amount of consumer awareness of them that I think are working and that are very interesting. I mean, we talked this a little bit on the first podcast, but, um, you know, audio, 3D, spatial audio is probably the... The, the, one of the closest streams inside this whole ecosystem that tracks back to music. And, um, boy, I see some very interesting developments. There's a, a specific company I'd call out in Manhattan called Mach one, um, that, you know, has got a great 3d audio technology or supposedly one of the best that, you know, has found kind of a nice niche, um, with the film studio business, basically, you know, trying to build some bread and butter, working on vr projects whether they're major projects like from a a studio like fox i think they're in one of the alien alien 3d properties or sundance oriented titles or even apps like the new york times that that come out that that have audio components as well so i think i think i've seen that as as a key kind of production or, or b2b um you know oriented piece that to me seems like it's quietly starting to work um there have been failures in the space there have been companies you know gaming company like Gaudio that came over from Korea that I think tried to build a little bit of an ecosystem that failed. And there's there's, there's quite a few others that are in the space that are trying to make some headway. Facebook bought one called Two Big Years from Scotland um, that I think also is in a developmental state. So I kind of like that area. Um, You can notice that I'm not talking about the three or four different consumer-facing VR networks out there because I Mm -hmm. don't necessarily see those as working. I will say to you that as, um, you know, a business development consultant, I'm always out in the market meeting companies and I've seen quite a few um, kind of social music-oriented AR apps are in the market. I've seen one called Scanta that looks kind of cool. It's out here talking to loads of artists that, um, you know, brings this idea of augmented reality and, and plunking you in, in, you know, Rihanna's video, if you will. Um, that several of these are out in the markets now that, that look really cool and fun. I can't say any of them are working yet, but I think, I think there's a crop of these AR-oriented apps as well as sort of social gaming-oriented or gamified music communities that are all out there now in a startup phase that um, have the potential to be you know, real contributors to the landscape, basically. Um, that's been a real fun part of my gig as a consultant is that I get to see a lot of new stuff and and hear loads of pitches, basically. So I think there's no shortage of, of wannabes in the space using AR and music.
0: And a lot of those are all then dependent on the smartphone ecosystem and that being the playback device, or are they finding other ways to create immersive overlays or holographic or whatever?
1: Oh, great question. I mean, I think this. I think that what I have seen with most of them, it is centered around the phone. I mean, I think the more The savvier ones are actually going back to the device again. You know, um, what if you were Samsung's, you know, key AR partner every time we take a photo? You know, I mean, I think there's things out there that are along these lines that that folks are angling for. Um, You know, so those those are probably the most interesting ones that I've seen, basically. Um, But, you know, I think for a lot of these apps... Um, they're not in the position like where I mentioned with the, say, a Sony mobile that says, Hey, you know, Shakira, we want your content to be preloaded on this device. And we're going to give you a seven figure name and likeness endorsement fee as consideration for all the support you're going to give. I don't, I've not seen one that's, you know, remotely kind of in that space yet to be able to step up and do that, nor would one be able to present them to a major artist and say, you know, here's something that's got a huge audience to it. So they're all kind of swimming around in startup phase, little, little minnows. <laughs>
0: um, what are the Latin minnows? I mean, are there, um, I'm thinking that a lot of, a lot of the opportunities are in the fact that we have so many different great music communities. I was in a conversation yesterday. Uh, i, I been working on a lot of programs and projects right now on the future of music in Los Angeles. And we just had a major event. We're now talking in in February, but just had a major event last week or so. and um, We've just come off the Grammys, et cetera. But my event last week was looking at how Los Angeles is as a live music community. And one of our recurring themes is that it's also a big Latin music community. And the Latin music world has been having um, fairly robust health and relatively good integration in seemingly good integration into things like YouTube. Um, That's a healthy relationship. That's actually moving tickets and moving artists. Um, What's happening on the tech side with Latin artists and our technology seeing that group of fans uh, and, and the crossover music that's been happening is another engagement method for their technologies.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, so the the that Latin, was a long preamble. Yeah, sorry. no, no, it's it's a it's um it's a great kind of curveball of a question, um and I I, I see it because I spent so many years in Miami as a curveball, but um just from a general perspective, you know the Latin markets and that's U.S. US Latin or U S Hispanic and that's roughly sixty million people inside the U S plus all the stuff south of us from you know the big ones like Mexico and Brazil to. Big areas like the Andean region and and Kono Sur, which is you know Argentina and Chile and Uruguay, I mean it's that's all like incredibly positive stuff across the board because I think um, there's been tremendous digital engagement. Um, you know all, all the statistics on on things like like video usage, mobile usage, sharing is is I think very very positive. Plus there's been and th- these are all across you know, the major digital platforms I'm talking about from Spotify to YouTube to Vivo, um, certainly inside Apple Music, and I presume Amazon as well. Um, So, but we're also seeing, you know, in addition to kind of like the, the, just the general uptake, a lot of interesting stuff on the content, meaning we talked about this last time, but I would call it kind of cultural crossover content, meaning artists like Luis Fonsi or Osuna or J Balvin, who are all, you know, primo Latin regional artists, many of them skew towards reggaeton, which is more of a, you know, urban uh, rap type music that I think if you looked on a map, skews a little bit more towards the east of this country than it does perhaps the West Coast, where there's more of a regional Mexican influence. But we're tending to see all this great crossover stuff come in just the general market. So, you know, I mean, the obvious one to point to on the content side is, um, you know, Despacito from last year, which was just a giant global hit period, like the biggest one ever. But I think you're seeing that even just looked at the Grammys, how it opened. It was, it was clearly cross-cultural is, is very much a part of the general market now. Um, so I think that's, that's a really cool kind of key thing to consider. I mean, from, from the tech side, um, you know, I think what I've seen, the thing that I'd highlight, if if you look at, pick it, YouTube, Spotify, I work for Smool doing Latin stuff, by the way, TikTok, all, all the major entities, Amazon, Apple, I think they've all progressively built up more and more teams of people and resources, um, not just sitting in headquarters or even in regional centers like Miami, but increasingly, you know, in the local markets where people should be in Mexico City, in Bogota, you know, in Sao Paulo, in in Buenos Aires, and more and more, you're seeing kind of regional content being represented. Spotify, for example, has you know something that is a playlist, but it's really a team of committed people and programmers called Viva Latino, which is you know all about reflecting this Latin content. They do events. They're they're a robust business, and I think um, I think Apple's doing the same. I mean, I've I've worked with the Apple um, Latin teams for a long time. And have also seen them, seen them grow. I've, I've seen them struggle with trying to understand the US US Latin market when they first launched their first download stores too. And I think they've kind of paralleled what I'm talking about. I mean, if if you're asking about like Latin-specific tech, I kind of tend to see there are technologies and that are specific to places like Miami. I'll, I'll mention one interesting one that, that is more of a licensing platform called So Stereo. Um, you know that has this idea of uh, doing online syncs and connecting brands and buyers, and you know tailoring it toward towards the Latin content community is an interesting place. Uh, Mention one that's kind of split between Madrid, between Miami and Mexico City, um, called TubiTube. That's more of an influencer platform that Warner has a, a deal with as well. Um, that is very Latin centric, um, but I tend to think that. Latin America is a big part of the digital community, and so it's increasing its representation with all the key partners.
0: Are there any challenges specific to the Latin music
1: communities? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think I think from you know from a digital business perspective, you know, um, there there are very distinct elements about Latin America. In general, that I probably apply across the board to lots of industry verticals, not just music. That if, if you don't like pay attention to them, you 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 know you're you're not going down the right road. I mean, you know the one of the bigger ones is always pricing. So if you if you're going to go into you know a, a region with 17, whatever it is, 15 territories in it, some of them may have, and you know this as a banker and finance strategy, but I mean wildly disparate you know comparisons to the United States or European markets. Um, Argentina is a great example. They've had so many different currency swings and revaluations. Um, you know, there's a classic comparison of when you when you you start to look at setting up digital businesses in that territory. You know, I I always remember doing this exercise where you compare what what the price of a Big Mac. Big Mac, be, that's right. Yeah, there, you know, yeah. there you go. So you know, and I think that's a very elemental but basic comparison. And if you're Apple or Spotify or your, um, telecom personnel launching, you know, a music service in that territory, how do you price it? And, um, I mean, certainly you get in territories like Central America, where it's even a more extreme comparison, you know, you have to price it properly, basically, whether you're a wholesale pricer or you're a service doing the retail price for it. Um, so that's always a big factor. I think, I think free is always better. I think one of the, <laughs> one of the reasons Spotify has been, you know successful is that they they had a, a really strong free offering and i think some of the the you know the services in the region probably didn't didn't have it and i think if if you if you look at you know music services that are somehow subsidized and the mobile carriers are a good example of that i think you know, if it feels free to a consumer and you're in mexico or you're in brazil you know that that's a a wonderful way to bring a service to market and increase adoption of it as well um, so that's always a big factor. Taxes are a big factor. Go you to know, some of these markets like Brazil. If you were to sell a piece of content there, they have multiple layers of taxes, you know, that that hit things that can make models very unappealing. If you're if you're trying to compare it to a, a market like the U.S., um, certainly repertoire and catalog. Um, I know from a music perspective the consumption patterns of people in the region, how and what they consume for music or video can be very different um, across the region. And I'll just zip back to the idea of what a star is, you know, someone in Chile might consume very different music or video or repertoire in general than someone in Puerto Rico might. It's just, just the way it is basically. So I think anyone going in to these markets needs to have a savvy kind of content and, you know, repertoire strategy. I also think this applies whether you're a music service or I talked to this recently in LA here at a conference, you know, I think some of these OTT services that are going in with video, I, you know, I think there's, I don't necessarily think (laughs) you go in like Amazon with the same thing. It it works. You got to have differentiation. So um, those are, those are probably things that stick out in my mind and having strong regional teams is always a big thing. You know, the, the Miami market is key, I think, because someone needs to, you know, strategize for the whole region and think big and, and coordinate with headquarters in LA or New York and, and make sure that things are heading in a, in a strategic direction. That's kind of from an organizational perspective as well. So um, there's, there's a bunch of stuff there to think about.
0: Is there anything that you are tinkering with that has to do with live performance?
1: Yes, there definitely is. I mean, I have, uh, I am consulting for a a live platform that comes out of Europe actually that's trying to enter the U.S. market. That's in sort of a quiet launch phase, um, and I, you know, it's it's an interesting thing bringing something into the U.S. market in that area because, um, you know, whatever tweaks or bells or features you have on it. Um, say you have something that gives you wonderful pricing abilities so you can fight off scalpers or has a better revenue share if you're an artist that wants to put something up directly on a, on a live platform, it's still a really crowded, tough market here. You know, an AEG and Live Nation and things like So Far Sounds, Eventbrite, you know, brown, whatever it is, brown paper tickets, whatever it's called, have, have pretty nice positions in this market. So it's, I think that's a challenging one.
0: So, if you were going to uh, wave a magic wand, look through a, a, a some kind of a, a looking glass to the future, what do you see as the core things that are coming up the pike or need to come up the
1: pike? Well, the the core thing, the the, the most interesting thing I've been seeing lately that I think is is kind of coming down the pipe um, in a big way are things that kind of take this idea of artist platforms to a new level and draw on everything that's out there and, you know, look at things like perhaps super fans, huge, huge consumers on Spotify or some of these platforms and bring new services to them in kind of concentrated ways that could create different economies that are out there. I see that as as... Very, very exciting. Those could be fan clubs, but that are uber fan clubs that, that pull artists uh, you know, into a new realm and they give them more economies beyond just distribution and concert tickets and you know, drawing a lot of things together from collectibles to access to ticketing access to selling music for sure. That, to me, is, um, is one of the more exciting things that, that are out there right now.
0: And then um, things you wish were
1: coming? Things that I wish were coming, I think that this whole 3D ecosystem, I wish there was something out there that was easy and cool to use, basically, whether it was just on a phone and easy to do, that was a more immersive experience and connected in everyone's audience uh, and music. That that would be kind of fun to, to see that as well. Absolutely.
0: So if you were going to give free advice to music managers or people working with up-and-coming artists how might they find their way into engaging with new technologies
1: well that's a great question and managers have been on my radar in a, in a big way because i i think i think they need to start thinking strategically and planning as well because i think a lot of these new platforms that i'm seeing as a business developer are just as applicable to an artist manager or an enterprising publicist or marketer as they are to someone who holds the recorded music content. And um, I think that is also an incredibly exciting area if, you know, pick it a Rock Nation, a Maverick, a Red Light, a major management interest, a Westwood, a Saytrack, and Latin Markets start acting more uh, perhaps strategically uh, beyond just the day to day tactical uh, stuff of concerts and appearances and record label deals. You know, it, it goes back to some of these concepts, even at the dawn of the digital era. I remember a company called Artist Direct, um, you know, that was way out there, where some of these artist economies can start becoming disruptive. United Masters, which is maybe a model of this, which is, I don't know if it was the the first year or two of it was was the best, but I think is something that's got some very interesting potential in it, where you know it has data. Um, that I think they 're trying to sell and strategize around, but but beyond that there 's lots of capital in the company and, and a lot of technology interest behind it and If the right people come in, um, it, it could be some sort of behemoth you know, f- for the future so that 's what I would start to say is that you know, think, think more strategically act, bring on strategic people as well, because um, I think the, I think the future is is not written yet for for this business, and it may look very different than the past.
0: Well it was great to have you on for a second time to continue the conversation because we have spent so t- so much time going through your your intriguing past and hadn't yet gotten to the future so we've spent some time talking on that today. Anything we didn't cover you'd like to mention before we close today's conversation?
1: Um I think I think I think we got a, a lot into it. I feel like we we covered it. So that's that's probably the that would probably cover it for me. I really appreciate the time, Gigi. It was great talking to you.
0: And great talking with you, to Appreciate the, the thought in this and sharing some ideas with our audience. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.com. Dot school of music. Dot UCLA. Dot EDU. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.